Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. We are in the book of Revelation, and I'm so glad you have joined in. Welcome to you today. We want to begin today by reading Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to begin the reading in verse 7. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, says this, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. We want to stop right there in the reading and study for today and discuss these verses. In this passage, we find war in heaven. Now, that's a strange philosophy, a strange thing to think about. But the Bible does record war in heaven here. So we're going to look at that. We are told who wars with whom. So the dragon, the devil, and his demons, his angels, remember, we just learned that he was cast out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. So we have the devil and a third of the angels who are now fallen angels or what we call demons fight with Michael and his angels, possibly the the other two-thirds of the angels in heaven. Now, there's many things that come to light about this that, that form questions for us. First of all, let's consider the question of this concept to begin with. Now, we find the forces of darkness in constant contrast and conflict with God's forces of light, the demons and forces of darkness against the kingdom of God and the forces of God. And we see a couple of other examples of something similar where we have the devil and Michael having a face-off or a war or a conflict. Let's look at those two places first as we begin this discussion. The first one is found in Daniel chapter 10, and we want to begin the reading in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me. This is Daniel speaking about this encounter, what he's having. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you And stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. 
Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So here we see Gabriel being sent to Daniel in answer to Daniel's prayer. God desired to send this angel to him, Gabriel, this messenger angel, to announce to him the interpretation and the understanding of what Daniel had seen. Now, this is not the first time we see Gabriel and Daniel speaking and so forth. We've seen it in other passages in the book of Daniel, if you've read the book of Daniel. But notice this, there is an encounter of a conflict that delays Gabriel coming to him. Now, the Bible, this is one of those places where it speaks about things we can't always understand all the intricacies of. But we notice here that this delay is caused by the one who's called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this is speaking of the demonic realm. It's talking about this demonic prince. This is not talking about a human person. This is talking about Satan himself, the devil himself, and his demonic forces that were withstanding Gabriel and Michael was sent to ward them off and to defeat them and to allow Gabriel to continue on. Now, there was that 21-day delay. We do not know the intricacies of why this whole thing happened, but we do know this, God is sovereign. And we do know this, that God is always on time. So because of that, there was a lesson that came to be understood and to be learned. And this is one of the places that speak to us about the demonic forces and the demonic realm. And we're looking at some of that in this episode because that is what Revelation 12 is speaking of here in this passage. I also want to see one other time where there is an encounter between the devil and an angel of God. And that is also found in Jude chapter 1. In Jude chapter 1, we see in verse 8, it reads this, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So here we see an encounter where Michael and the devil have a conflict again and a dispute again. And Michael's response was, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, Satan, God is the one who controls 
and who is in charge. He is the one who will rebuke you. So we see this encounter between Michael and the devil in these two places at another time. Now, yet there is this war in heaven. These encounters were on earth or somewhere in the atmosphere. And yet Revelation 12 is speaking of a war in heaven between the dragon, who we know to be the devil and his demonic forces, and Michael and the heavenly angels. When might this be speaking of? Well, there are two possibilities. There's the past, which takes us back to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 21, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19, and Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, and all three of those passages we did read in the last episode when we were discussing the devil, this dragon. It could be speaking of the past when Satan fell from heaven or was cast out from heaven. And we do not know exactly when that occurred. However, we know that it did in fact happen prior to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Because Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 tells us, Now the serpent... And at that time, he is now on the earth in the Garden of Eden. He has been cast out from heaven prior to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, this war in heaven spoken of here in Revelation chapter 12 could speak of a future war that has not yet occurred. It indicates such to me, I believe, personally, that this may be speaking of both the past in one sense and this future war in heaven. Let's discuss that for a moment, the future war. Notice that he has been accusing. He has been accusing both day and night. This passage tells us he is called here the accuser of the brethren. But notice this. He and his demons fight against Michael and Michael's angels, and they do not prevail. The devil does not win. He is not victorious. And beyond that, we are told not only does he not win, but no place is found any longer for him in heaven. In other words, there is no spot for him at all. I love how Thayer's speaks of this wording here. And he says, it's talking about a thing which went on formerly, whereas now a different state of things exists or has begun to exist. In other words, he had access. There was times when he would come into the heavenly realm before God but that, but after this event in Revelation chapter 12 happens, never again. He, he is denied access from this time forward. 
So to understand this entirely, let's consider a few things. Lucifer is a created angel. We looked at these two passages in the last episode, but remember Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. He was created in heaven as an angel worshiping God. Matter of fact, most people believe him to be the worship leader, so to speak, in heaven. But iniquity and pride was found in him. It's interesting when you look at those words in the Hebrew because it's talking about them, him, him being the originator of it. It was found in his possession. He had acquired it. He, it was born in him. He was the author and originator of it. And it was discovered and detected by God in him. And so he was cast out of heaven with one third of the angels who are now fallen angels or demons. Jesus referred to this past event in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. So we know that if this occurred as a result of some type of war in heaven, that it was in the past that Jesus made reference to it. Because in the time of Jesus, he said these words, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus specifically declares that that was a past event. However, after Satan fell, which we know happened before Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan now operates as the prince of the power of the air over the kingdom of darkness. Let's read that in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, actually, let's just read verse 1, beginning in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So we're told here that Satan is that prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. He is an angelic spirit being that is working in people who are disobeying the Lord and getting them to disobey and be sinful. He is called the prince of the power of the air here. He has been operating in this realm since Genesis chapter 3, and he will continue until the end of Revelation chapter 20. Although during the course of Revelation chapter 20, he will be imprisoned for 1,000 years in that interim. The main weapons that Satan uses today, we want to talk about next. First of all, I want you to recognize that Jesus came and has defeated him. Jesus is the victor. He defeated him at the cross. Let's read about this 
in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And it's speaking of Jesus here and his death on the cross that forgave us of all of our sins when we believe in him and are born again. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus has disarmed Satan's kingdom. He is the victor. He did it at the cross, and at the cross he delivered all who will believe in him and broke off from them the power of sin and the penalty of sin, according to Romans 6, verse 23. Now, there is still the presence of sin, and that remains until God will finally deal with him at the end in Revelation, as we are reading. And that, at the rapture or the resurrection, the presence of sin will then be freed from us at that time. We are in the world, but not of the world, Jesus said. The presence of sin is still here, but we are no longer under his power, nor under the penalty of sin when we have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, when we have confessed him, believed on him, and been justified by faith alone. Satan's main weapon, however, remains lies and deceit. Notice even here, it speaks of how he has deceived the whole world. We find that also spoken about in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 as well. He leads people and tempts them with a lie. Then he traps and ensnares them. Think about it. It doesn't matter what sin you have committed, what sin comes to mind even now as I'm talking. Whatever it is, if you get down to the very root of it, it will be built upon a lie or a deception in some form or fashion, whether it's lust, pornography, adultery, whether it's alcohol addiction, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's pride, whether it's depression and low self-esteem, whether it's legalism, whatever it is, if you nail it down to its ultimate core, you will find that it is based upon a lie and a deceit. But Satan will do that, and I want you to understand why and how this works. So I want us to look at two places real quick in the scriptures. First of all, I'd like to read James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted 
when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So James is describing here the process that occurs. Satan is the tempter. God cannot tempt us with any evil, but Satan does. He will come to you with some lie. He will come to you dangling some carrot, dangling some pretty shiny thing that he wants you to bite. He wants you to take the bait and he wants you to bite. And if you are allowing him to draw you away because you've got that desire toward that to begin with, if you don't resist that temptation, then you're drawn away by your own lust. Then what happens is when you give into that and you take the bait, that desire then is conceived, bringing forth sin into your life. And unless you bring your sin to the altar of Jesus Christ, confess it before him and ask him to forgive you, it will grow and grow and grow. And when it's full grown, it will bring forth the wages of sin that is death that Romans 6, 23 speaks about. And we're not talking about just physically going into the ground and being buried in a casket. We are talking about spiritual death, the second death, the death that will place you eternally into the lake of fire and there will be no escape, no parole, no getting out. You will be eternally in torment and separated from God. This is the process that happens with sin. And the devil is of such an evil nature, Poneros, that he will want to see you destroyed. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke of that. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes this declaration. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus is telling us here that Satan's goal with every single person that he entraps, with every single person that he ensnares, with every single person that he brings into bondage, his ultimate goal is complete annihilation, complete destruction, complete ruin. He is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy that person, period. He hates you. He hates that person. He hates me. He hates whoever it is. And he wants nothing more than to see us come to utter ruin, total destruction, and a life in the lake of fire where he is going to be. His whole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he begins it with a lie. He begins it with some form of deceit, that carrot that he dangles, that pretty shiny thing that he dangles out there. But the root of it is a lie, and it will bring you into bondage. He is so evil that he will tempt and deceive, and then he's going to condemn you and accuse you for it. So notice this. This is why he's called the accuser of the brethren in verse 10. The declaration in heaven comes forth 
saying praise to God, declaring that the salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, and the exousia or authority of Jesus Christ have now come, come into being, begun to come to pass because Satan is no longer going to have any form of access even to accuse. He has been accusing the brethren. He has been condemning those. He's drawn them into sin or tried to, tempted them, and then he's trying to accuse them and bring guilt upon them and condemn them. But notice that's his 24-7 work. He does that. It says he does that day and night. Think about that, but then contrast that with the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in heaven. According to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus ever lives 24-7, 365 days a year on the Gregorian calendar, 366 in a leap year, 360 on the lunar calendar, the, the Jews calendar. Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us, to pray on our behalf, to intervene on our behalf. And Romans 8, 26 through 27 tells us the exact same thing is happening with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for us, contrasted with Satan, who is day and night accusing the church, the family of God. He's accusing those that he has been able to ensnare into some form of sin or get them to fall. He is accusing them. He is a complainant at law. That's what the word actually talks about. He's gathered against them. It's like he is the prosecutor in a courtroom. The prosecutor. He is accusing the believers. Notice this, that he is accusing them before God. That literally means in the face of God. This is what he has been doing. So in the courtroom in heaven, daily, Satan as prosecutor, so to speak, has been bringing a case to God, the judge, against you and against me. Jesus, however, is our defense attorney. I want us to look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Here John is telling us that when we do screw up, when we do sin, when we do fail, when the devil has tricked us, tempted us, and drawn us into some form of sin. Praise be to God, because Jesus is our propitiation for our sins when we have believed in him. He has now become our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the only one righteous. He is the one that is working that work of righteousness in us. 
and he now has become our defense attorney. Now, does this mean we just sin away? Oh, no, 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 no. Let's look back in chapter 1 of 1 John, and let's read, beginning in verse 6. It says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning with the Lord, and walk in darkness, in other words, we live a lifestyle of sin, or we fall into sin and walk according to the darkness and the, the ways of the world. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk or live our lifestyle in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here, this sets the stage for why we have the advocate with the Father. Because we're walking in the truth. Yes, we'll mess up sometimes. Yes, we will fail. Yes, the devil will tempt us and we'll fall into sin. But he tells us here how we get cleansed again is through confessing our sins. And then the judge, who is faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when the devil accuses us, we have the advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who now has become our defense attorney. So Satan is constantly, even today, I believe, accusing us because Revelation 12 has not occurred yet. We're not at that time yet. So according to Revelation 12, there is a place and a time when Satan accuses the brethren 24-7, according to this word. It says day and night. He is the accuser of the brethren. There is an Old Testament example. I just want to bring it to your attention. You will find it in Job chapter 1 and in Job chapter 2, where Satan came day by day. Satan would roam around, looking around the earth, trying to accuse, trying to inflict harm and trouble upon people. And he did so in Job chapter 1 and in Job chapter 2. And in those cases, he was accusing God, saying, well, God, of course, Job loves you because he's got a perfect life. Take away his perfect life and he's not going to love you anymore. And so God allows Job to be put to this test. Job comes through that test in the end because God knew his character. God knew he would never have allowed him to be tested like that if he did not know that he was going to be faithful and come through in the end, although he struggled during that test, as we do as well in our life. Peter was also put to a major test, and Jesus warned him about it at the Last Supper. He said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now notice this, Jesus didn't tell him, but I denied him the request. He's not going to be able to do it. No, Jesus said, after you have been tested, after you've come through this test, strengthen the brethren. So Satan 
is still trying to accuse people even today. And he will until Revelation chapter 12 happens. But at that time, according to this word, no place anymore. He's not going to have any spot. He will not have any more access at all. Access is totally denied at this point, which appears to be in the mid-tribulation because of the verses that came before this and the verses that will come after this. So we know that at this point in the tribulation period, at this midpoint, the devil will have no more access to heaven whatsoever, even to accuse at that point. And in the next episode, we will see how he responds to his access being denied. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.